Good morning. My name is Ryan Schreckengast, and I'm one of the preachers here at GFC. And I recently got two very exciting emails. The first is exciting because it's from a Nigerian prince who actually wants me to help him handle some of the money that he can't access in his country. Very exciting. Um, I have the opportunity in this to make a lot of money, and all I have to do is give him all of my bank accounts, my social security numbers, the deed to every worldly thing that I own. Um, it's very exciting. <laughs> the, the second exciting email is from a good friend of mine who I haven't seen in a number of years who was telling me that she just had a baby. Also very exciting. Given these two messages, which one is easier to believe that a government could experience political strife or that a new person that has never existed before has come into this world and has become part of God's plan for his eternal purpose. Arguably, the first is easier to believe. But once you consider the source of this message an email from someone claiming to be a Nigerian prince, or an email from a close personal friend, it changes which is easier to believe, doesn't it? At least I hope it would. (laughs) Um, I will believe my friend's message infinitely more. And I tell that story because I think that it's crucial when we hear a message, whatever that message may be, that we consider the source Today we're going to continue in the first chapter of Luke, specifically verses 26 through 38, which are on page 803 if you have one of the church Bibles. And today we're going to hear an incredible promise, an unbelievable promise, one that doesn't make sense from an earthly perspective. But I want you this morning to consider the source Is this message one that is coming from a reliable source or an unreliable source? And I think this is the major question that Luke is driving Theophilus, to whom the book of Luke was written, to consider, as well as that we can consider this morning as well. We have reason to believe the incredible word of God because nothing will be impossible for him. Today we're going to hear the second part of a parallel account. The structure of these verses is actually written in two parts. Uh, Luke uses this structure several times throughout his book, setting up two parallel examples to help him to make his point. Last week, Peter preached on the first part of this pair. He preached on the account of Zechariah, who received a prophecy that his son John would be born from Elizabeth, his wife, despite their very advanced age. And unfortunately, in this story, this incredible word was received with unbelief from Zechariah, and he was struck mute. Now, in this section that we'll read today, we'll see this same angel, Gabriel, offer a similar but even more incredible promise to a young woman And we'll be able to compare them and see the contrast of how she responds to this message. So let's start by reading Luke 1, 26 through 33, and hear this incredible promise. 
In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The first thing I want you to consider in these verses is that Gabriel is the primary actor. This is an account of Gabriel's mission being sent from God to such and such a place and to give a message to some particular person. That person is Mary, but ultimately this is a story about the message of God coming from Gabriel. Why does this matter? Because Luke, I think, is clearly identifying the source of the message. Gabriel coming directly from God. Yes, Mary and her response are key here, but we start, and you'll see that we end, with Gabriel, the source of the message. And this is an incredible message. I don't mean incredible like, wow, cool. I mean incredible like unable to credit, cannot be believed. Everything from the angel's opening greeting to his last words are unbelievable. Mary is a simple girl without even a husband or any clear indication of God's particular blessing. And an angel comes and greets her with a title in verse 28 that has been translated in a bunch of different ways. It's been translated as, You who have found favor. Or, You full of God's grace. Or, Favored one. I think the one that's the most descriptive is this, You favored with grace. It's no wonder in verse 29 that Mary just simply can't understand this greeting. From the perspective of of Mary, there's no indication that this is true. And from the perspective of those of us who are reading this account, we should start to feel a bit uneasy about the direction that this story is taking because of the similarity that it has with Zechariah's story in the preceding verses, this parallel account. We should start to feel a little nervous. Remember that in this second part account, so in a few verses earlier, Zechariah, who was a devout priest serving in a very clearly favored position in God's temple, received a visit from the very same angel. He was also afraid. And Gabriel also told him not to fear that his prayer for a child had been answered. 
But the way that that story ended for Zechariah wasn't happy, was it? He was struck mute. And the reader of this account cannot help but feel the rising tension of the scene with Mary is being set up in exactly the same way. We've got to wonder, how is this going to end? Gabriel coming from God with an unbelievable message about a miraculous birth. The most unbelievable part of this message, beyond Mary's own astonishing appellation, is in verse 31 and through 33. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David. One unbelievable statement on top of another. And again, we should feel this rising tension where the message to Zechariah was of a miraculous birth of John to a woman who was beyond childbearing years. Here, the stakes are so much higher. This son, Jesus, will be the literal fulfillment of God's promise of salvation for his people. The Messiah. The prophet Malachi prophesied and foresaw this event and even included John, who was the forerunner, who would turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. The prophet Isaiah talked about this event. He promised that the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And Isaiah also prophesied this. This is beautiful. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the one that God is promising to Mary to bring into this world. This is the incredible, astounding, unbelievable message that Gabriel is asking Mary to believe. And this is the point where in the parallel story of Zechariah, things went off the rails. When faced with a similar but less unbelievable message about a birth, an elderly, mature, devout, righteous, married priest fails to believe God's message. So how will this unmarried Seemingly insignificant, virgin, girl, respond. How would you have responded at possibly age 14? There are some in this room that are 14. How would you respond to this? Let's read Luke 1, 34 through 37 and see the amazing grace that is given by a credible God. 
And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Look again at these parallel accounts as they contrast the question that was asked by Mary and by Zechariah. Both of these stories include a questioning section, but they are very, very different. In verse 18, Zechariah asks, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And Gabriel condemns him for his unbelief and strikes him mute. In verse 34, Mary also asks a question, even following the same structure... But her question is fundamentally different. How will this be since I am a virgin? In both of these situations, the earthly realities make the message of God seem impossible. And to be fair, neither Zechariah nor Mary ignores these realities. But the question, how shall I know this, is fundamentally a question of disbelief. Essentially, prove to me that what you are saying is true. While the question, how will this be, is fundamentally a question of faith. I believe what you say, but I don't understand the means by which it will happen. And so when the angel answered Zechariah in verses 19 through 20, he says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. The identity of the messenger, the source of the message should be enough to prove, to to serve as proof. But when Gabriel answers Mary, it's very different. He directs her to the power and the credibility of God. Verse 35, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And he even uses the miraculous, uh, the miracle of John's birth, notwithstanding Zechariah's doubt, to serve as cause for proof of God's credibility. Look at this situation. Nothing is impossible for God. Friends, it's not even about Zechariah or Mary. It's about the zeal of the Lord of hosts accomplishing his promise, as we read in Isaiah 9. The Holy Spirit isn't limited by our earthly realities that loom so large in our minds. Consider the source of the message. 
Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. It doesn't matter if you are barren or a virgin or doubting or uncertain. If God wants it to be to further his plan, it will be. This is a fundamental truth about God. Let there be light. And there was light. Friends, there is no promise of God that is not credible. Even the incredible ones. How can it be that God would use me to witness to my neighbors since I am so introverted? How can it be that God would deliver me from my addiction since my will is so weak? How can it be that God would satisfy my need for fellowship since I am so alone? How can it be that God would reconcile my relationship with my children since I failed them so badly? How can it be that God would use me to serve his body since my body is so weak? How can it be that God would speak to me since I am so full of doubt and skepticism? How can it be that God would send his son to die in my place since I am so unworthy? And on, and on, and on, and on. For nothing will be impossible for God. The identity and the credibility of the promiser is far more important than the promise, seemingly made incredible by the circumstances. Time and time and time again, God has proven himself to be believable. He did it through Elizabeth. He did it through Mary, Zechariah, Malachi, Isaiah, and even every one of this, every one of us in this room this morning, as we've heard from Tom and from Diane. And so what is the appropriate response How do we handle an incredible promise made by a credible God? Look at the last verse that we're reading today, Luke 1, 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. The only appropriate response to an incredible promise from a credible God is belief. Believe. Mary does two things so amazing right here in this one verse. She correctly identifies her own position. I am the servant. She's asked her question... And God has graciously given her a sign in the form of her cousin's pregnancy. But ultimately, she doesn't get hung up on her own earthly realities. 
And two, she correctly identifies the source of that promise. I am the servant of the Lord. She knows that nothing will be impossible for the Lord. So she believes the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord stands. So how do we apply this morning? Friends, believe the incredible word of God. Because nothing will be impossible for him. The realities of illness and failure and sin and abuse and poverty and disorder and injustice scream so loudly to be heard. But these will all be silenced. And the word of the Lord will stand. The word of life and forgiveness and healing and justice. God's word is believable, even when it seems incredible. One that I've struggled with recently is how can it be that God could use my sermon to touch people's hearts since I am still so young and my heart so frequently hard? First Timothy 4, 10 through 12 tells me that we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God, not on ourselves. So let no one despise my youth, but set the believers as an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. So I have two ways that I could respond. I can respond in belief and I can preach boldly the word of God because my hope is in him, not in myself. And I can allow him to soften my hard heart in my faith and my conduct. Or I could respond in disbelief, denying the work that God has already done in me and fearing to speak his words until I reach my own confused expectation of worthiness. Maybe for some of you in here, it's this. How can I submit to my parents or my church leaders since they don't know what's really going on in my life and they don't really know how to care for me anymore? 1 Peter 5, 5-7 says that God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time, He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, because He cares for you. So you could respond in belief, and you could humble yourself, and listen to counsel, trusting that God does know how to care for you, And he has given you counselors that are subject to him. Or you can respond with unbelief. And you can rely on your own heart to guide guide you in opposition to everyone. Exalting yourself. Doing what is right in your own eyes. One more. How can it be that God is with me? 
since everyone in my life has abandoned or rejected me, and I feel so alone. Hebrews 13, 4 through 6 says that the Lord will not leave you or forsake you. You can confidently say, He is your helper. What can man do to you? So you can respond with belief and pursue God's plan for you, trusting Him to love you and strengthen you and show you your true value as precious and loved by God. Or you can respond with unbelief and look to others for your validation through relationships either centered completely on you or centered completely on them rather than on God. Or you could look to becoming self-sufficient, not needing anyone. Both of these are responses of unbelief. Friends, the realities of, these, of this earth are truly terrible. There really is sin. There really is loneliness, abuse, carelessness, strife, disease, and war. But do not let the realities of this earth overwhelm your belief in the credibility of God. He really is believable. And he will overcome sin and death. Friends, Jesus is the proof. This child, Jesus, the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, he came to establish the kingdom of God and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. This doesn't mean that you ignore the real challenges of this life or you pretend like you somehow have all of the answers. You don't have all the answers. I don't have all of the answers. But it's my prayer that you and I have the faith to believe God because he is believable and to respond like Mary in both the easy and the hard Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. So I hope that you see in this text a hope that is beautiful beyond measure. That this text helps you to focus on the credibility, the believability of God, rather than believing the circumstances which makes God's promise seems so incredible or unbelievable. Nothing will be impossible with God. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your word this morning. Lord, um, you have been at work this morning uh, in this place, um, speaking to our hearts. God, not through my words um, or the words of, of those of us who are serving up here on, in the front, Lord, but through your word, through your word, speaking to us who are lonely or guilty or confused, God. Lord, you are so good to us and we believe you. 
we are eager for the day when that belief is vindicated and we see you gloriously ruling. Uh, and in the meantime, Lord, may we not be distracted or, or overwhelmed by the things that make your word seem incredible, God. And we thank you that you have given us so much proof. Uh, and we will continue to read this uh, in the coming weeks. We thank you, Lord. In your name, amen.